0: Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Jean Nathan. This is Crosstown Conversations with the last show before the holidays. So um, I will remember to say happy holidays to everybody before we get off the air. Um, But we, we have a little bit of serious business to start the show off with because i 'm sure some of you have heard about the new housing initiative, and what could be more important than that in a city where um, so many of our people have still not been able to return, and with all the um, uh, at the same time these new young folks who 've come to town that 's been great for the city but um, housing costs, rental costs have gone up, and um, our income, our average income, has not really gone up. So we have become actually from one of the less expensive cities in the country. We're now looking in terms of our uh, rents and our, our home prices relative to our income, uh, really one of the more expensive. So um, I I was really excited uh, 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 to hear about this new initiative that um, – uh, we're going to hear about it in just a minute. And I, I I just wanted to kind of dig a little deeper into it because one of the things that really appealed to me about it was not just the plan itself and what it hopes to accomplish, but the way it came together. And so that's what we're going to talk about because the, the, the message here is that if there's a problem, if there's something <clears throat> that we can fix and we can improve, if we get together, we can make it happen. So Andrea Nicia Morris, who's Vice President for Home Ownership and Community Development with the Providence Community Housing, is one of the leaders who helped pull this whole initiative together, and she's on the air with us. Are you there, Andrea Nica? Hi.
1: Hi. Good morning, uh, Dean. Yes, I'm here.
0: So I, I know that there's already been a lot of, um, you know, news on this. Um, that's how I heard about it, truthfully. I heard it uh, from, I guess, I think it was a Thomas Picayune. I saw it in, Um mm-hmm. But it, it, you know, I, I really have been so concerned about this issue personally because I'm so involved with a lot of the downtown communities from Canal Street down, you know, the Maroney, the Bywater, um, the, all of the Ninth Ward, Upper and Lower, Eighth and Seventh. This, this is kind of my stomping ground. And, um, I've been horrified to think mm-hmm. about how hard it is for people to return, to stay, to grow, and so this is this is a very important initiative. Let's start off with, let's just um, you know put the facts out there very clearly what this means and what this means for New Orleanians, both here and who are not back yet.
1: Sure. Good morning, and thank you again for um, giving me the chance to come on. Uh, like you mentioned, um, that we've been getting some good press, and but we want to make sure that as much uh, as many people who want to be engaged in this process know about it and are given the chance to participate. We have spent the last year working, uh, collecting data, talking to community to develop this 10-year plan. It is, uh, a working document. It's a working, um, it's a working strategy. So it's, it's not going to just, as we say, um, go in a drawer or sit on a shelf. Uh, but part of that also means that some of it we can adjust over, over the, the course of the next 10 years. And, um, what we've done is, again, like I mentioned, talk to communities. This was born, um, at the Equity Caucus, the, which is you know done annually by the Foundation for Louisiana and the community members as well as the practitioners said we you know we want to stop coming up with solutions that um, fix part of the problem we want to talk about what the long term housing solutions are and and what, where, where do we need what, what are the needs
0: so and so you know, if Dean, I could just restate yeah. that for you for a minute because this is something that is really important to me there are so many kind of little trial balloons out there in a the community, this, this little pilot, that little pilot, this little nonprofit, that little nonprofit, and everybody kind of trying to aim at solving a fraction of an issue. But that's what struck me as so different about this, that that you really kind of took on the bigger picture, the longer term. And a lot of us kind of hedge from trying to do that because it seems overly ambitious. But you guys just kind of bit down Took a big bite and said, "We're going to go after something that will have more universal impact." Is is that a fair statement?
1: That is, and I appreciate you saying that because, and you recognizing that because you're exactly right. And it's not for um, that people don't want to aim for the bigger picture. It is because it is so overwhelming um, when once you start getting to the numbers and people start getting worried. Well, can we actually make a difference? Um, the, I think a lot of the media coverage has been really fair and very hopeful about what we can accomplish, but they do note the fact that the need is 33,000, and what we identified in this this first part, this first um, publication, was only five only 5,000 opportunities. Right, so we're going to fall a little short. But following that that typical conventional wisdom, we wouldn't try anything. Right, if, if, if knowing that it's so much, and then and that you can. Turn down, turn your nose up at 5,000 families um, no longer struggling, no longer living check to check because it's not 33,000. And and that's the kind of thinking we knew we needed to get away
0: from if we were going to move this city forward. Yeah, but also you know 5,000 is no small program. I I, I know that's programs right. in the city that are dealing with let's say 10 kids or or you know uh, a, a couple dozen uh, adults that are, are have uh, some kind of a special need or problem. So 5,000 is a pretty big chunk. And here's the thing these things tend to have a geometric impact. The impact right. is not just on those 5,000 units of housing, the impact ripples out into the communities where you put that housing. It gives other people around it hope that they can bring back their part of the neighborhood. And it, and it stimulates investment by others because they see something positive happening. That's, you know, you just look at what happened in, in Bywater. Bywater, uh, you know, not that many years ago was, was in decline. Their, their Uh houses were, were in bad shape. They were going for, you know, maybe 20 dollars 40 thousand dollars nothing and so people had lost value in 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 there and a lot of people moved out of the area they moved out east they moved across the lake um etc they they moved out because they felt like it was a declining neighborhood then you had you know a handful of pioneering artists who moved in there they took the, the those houses in hand and they fixed them up and they they kind of put some juice back in and once people saw them doing that then it encouraged others to, and that's what it's all about, right? Right,
1: exactly, but it's also making sure that one of the things Housing NOLA wants to uh, be mindful of is once you start making that kind of investment, how do you make sure that that doesn't get away from you, right, that people don't come and say, well, wait, this is a great neighborhood, and it's exciting, and it's great, and, and, and we want to live here, and you push out the people who actually make the neighborhood special, How do you make sure that the the people who have already lived there, particularly in neighborhoods that are still flagging, neighborhoods that still haven't quite come back, you want that investment, you want that commitment, but Housing NOLA wants to make sure that the people who who truly call that neighborhood home and have done so for years, can actually stay there once I, the I, neighborhood
0: recovers. I couldn't agree more with the importance of that, and that has dogged me for all the years since the storm and, and before that. How do you do that? And how have, have people – surely you guys must have done some research and looked at, at how that was being addressed elsewhere because I kind of did a, just a little bit of probing to find out, you know, how is that, that very issue – being addressed. So so exactly how what did you come up with? What is your what is your strategy to address that?
1: So we looked at it again recognizing that New Orleans is a city of neighborhoods. We knew that we one of the issues that we couldn't do is you mentioned best practices from across the country. We could not bring one best practice or one initiative or uh, that that already existed in New Orleans couldn't be expanded for the entire city. It wouldn't work that way. That's one of the things that talking to community and reviewing the data Revealed, And and that was why the process, um, we we, we, um, rolled out the process the way that we did, because we wanted to make sure everyone had the same set of facts as we made these decisions. So we did the comprehensive city analysis of what actually was going on. And, you know, the numbers are startling, Um, you know, how um, wages have basically not just stayed stagnant, but have actually, if you factor in inflation, wages have actually decreased in the city. Um, and how housing costs have doubled across the board. So you've got an automatic mismatch. And where, and then looking at that from a truly neighborhood perspective, there are some neighborhoods that are are doing a little bit better than others, but there there are literally people who are paying uh, more than a third of their income towards the housing costs in in every neighborhood in the city. So that means we have a problem that everybody shares. And so that's important to getting solutions. Um, if you want to have any hope of getting solutions really implemented we need buy in and doing something like this for 10 years means it has to live with community because the mayor has been very supportive of this um you know we have the, the state involved uh, the housing authority of new orleans but those are they're either politicians or political appointees so and at some point they're going to be replaced and we're going to still be working at this so we need to have the community bought in and committed to this 10 year process
0: um, so so tell, me what that, tell me what that means. Um, uh, w- what does bought in mean? And, and, and uh, I, this is the other part of what I'm fascinated about, what, what I re- why I really wanted to have you on the show, is not just to talk about this program and, and what you hope to accomplish with it, but, again, how you put it together. Because, actually, Andrea Nisi and I want to talk to you about this further at another time. I'm trying to do a similar coalition effort in the creative economy where we still don't have people who understand it and are willing to support it. And, and I'm trying okay. to go cross boundaries to pull people together. So I'm fascinated by the fact that you did exactly what I'm talking about over this past year, and I, I want to understand how you did it because it's, uh, also it's instructive for people out there who are concerned about not this issue but other issues as well that require partnerships, coalition, working with government, working with the private sector, working with neighborhoods. So so take me back to the beginning of how you right. put this together and and what was the what was the What were some of the key factors that made your ability to pull this group together and make this commitment, uh, which you hope, obviously, to be real, happen? Right.
1: So this initiative kind of lives with the Great (coughs) New Orleans Housing Alliance, which is an independent (coughs) nonprofit that I'm the chair of. So that's part of what kind of makes this easier for everybody to bite down on, because it's not the city's initiative, nor is it, strictly speaking, something that's purely community-driven without any infrastructure or resources to back it up right? So it's kind of the best of both worlds. Uh, we also had to make sure that, again, we had this commitment from everybody who is technically responsible for affordable housing, the housing authority, the city of New Orleans, the state, because without them agreeing to coordinate their resources, then why would the community come to the table? Because who are everybody wants to make sure they're not wasting their time. So we got that buy-in from the public officials, city council at the off the bat and then we went out and and took our time and did these points of engagement um at, at neighborhood associations we went to Lafayette square in the park jazz fest um we worked with the neighborhood partnership network and did a special edition of their trumpet that was published in the gambit to really educate people and engage people in this process and we kept saying to people we are going to make these decisions together, and all of that, all of that community engagement, culminated with a, a summit that we had on um, June 6th in, in Al Davis Park. And so, again, making everyone understand that we wanted all voices at the table. So instead of having, you know, this typical stage, you know, very, very um, structured summit, we got volunteers, we got um, community leaders. To meet people where they were in their communities and really talk to them about what their issues were. Um, if someone was, you know, if they had, if they were had language, we had volunteers out there who spoke Spanish, so that anyone who came out there who didn't speak English could could weigh their issues. We also um, we also went to some of these specialized communities, um, people who we have deemed special needs populations who don't often get addressed, um, the elderly. Um, you know, disabled are all kind of always on those lists, and we wanted to make sure they remained on that list. But what about the ex-offender? What about kids aging out of the foster care system? What about our cultural, culture, culture bearers? How do they kind of sit at the table because they all have special needs and specific needs? And what we got came out of that was got out of that was that we were going to have to do a neighborhood-based plan, and so that the plan for Tremay was going to probably be different for the plan for uh, Gentilly. And we needed to be okay – everyone needed to be okay with that because those are um, – it's all New Orleans, but the, the issues in those communities are different. And how do we a, address that community's need? And, and that kind of really opened the door up even more so because then people realized that we weren't trying to cram a one-size-fits-all plan fits all down their throat to say that we were doing something, Right.
0: So, um, so let me just ask you. So, uh, and I think this is something that all of us in the nonprofit universe, and I'm part of that, um, face. And that is, how, this is this is a very big, time-consuming effort. And and quite frankly, it requires some kind of a financial base to get out there and do all this work. So, uh, how did you finance this this effort to begin with?
1: So, um, again, with the Together Initiative from Foundation for Louisiana. We were able to secure um, very modest seed funding. Uh, the foundation, recognizing that the importance of this, um, went out and doubled their initial investment. So they committed 35,000 initially, and, and then they went out and secured additional funding from the Ford Foundation. Um, and then once we made that connection with Ford, they um, actually they said, "Well, let's put down and really game plan this out." Um, JP Morgan Chase came to the table as well and said that we would like to fund the community engagement initiative in its entirety because we really we really want to make sure that this is something that you do thoughtfully and that you do deliberately. So going out and talking to people, um, you know, that takes time, that takes personnel, um, having facilitators at meetings. Um, having food at meetings, having meetings in places that aren't necessarily easy to get to or free, uh, those are the things that we had to really put dollars towards. Um, having translators, right? Um, going on on Telemundo locally, um, and having Spanish-speaking people who were educated and engaged in the plan engaged with the Latino community, um, going to going to the public housing um, sites and talking to those. To those um, to those residents directly and saying we want your input, as well as going to neighborhood association meetings from Enonac to Mid City uh, to Central City, uh, and and really working towards that. So we we once we put the plan together and how we were going to do it, um, and the Foundation for Louisiana their their commitment to this cannot be overstated. They went out and they 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 opened up the doors and said to their major funders. This is an initiative we believe in, we've committed to, we would like you to help help us implement this. And they said yes.
0: Well, I hope everybody who's out there who is trying to accomplish change in whatever area they're working in has been listening carefully because that was that was a very impressive blueprint. Now, uh, I mean, it, it took that commitment from the Foundation for Louisiana, obviously made all the difference in the world. And that's I think right. that that's what some organizations have a struggle, is if they don't get that level of commitment from an agency like that, then they're struggling with un- under-resourced to accomplish what they want. So uh, let's let's just say you don't get a Foundation for Louisiana support, Andrea Nisia. Mm-hmm. what would you have done <clears throat> to build your uh, the financial support that you needed to put your army out there. How well, many people, also, by the way? We were
1: also fortunate enough to know um, which was the kind of, which is the manager of this process had also been fortunate enough to get investment from the greater New Orleans foundation. So they had also invested in, in this kind of initiative as well. But let's say Ganoff, FFL, they said, well, show us something first. Um, what we, Ganoff had been able to do over the last few years is mobilize its its, its member organizations very well to do these kinds of, of initiatives, and um, so it's coordinating. Uh, we have a fellowship program that um, provides us with some young people who can help organize um, and do research uh, around these issues. And um, we would have it would have been a more bare bones plan. I'll be frank about that because we would not have been able to get the data analysis. Um, there are, and it probably would have taken us a little longer because there are some data sources that are becoming available um, in the next couple of months that we could have used, like the market value analysis that um, NORA is getting ready to release. So we would have probably extended the timeline. So instead of getting it done um, for in time for the 10-year, you know, because we were really committed to having to addressing what are we going to do now that the 10th anniversary of Katrina has come and gone. What is going to happen for the second half of recovery? But if we could not have gotten the, um, the, the financial commitments, we would have had to re- rethink this and spend a little more time on the planning process. It would have probably gone to about, it probably would have taken us twice as long. So it would have been about 24 months instead of the 12 that it was. But again, if you're committed to that, you can do that. And, uh, and I, I, I have to believe that once we demonstrated some results, you could get additional investment.
0: Yes, yeah, so um, yeah, this has been fantastic, really interesting. Let's go now to what you're hoping is going to happen as a result of your efforts so far in, in the year coming, and, okay. um, and, and what, what are your next steps in terms of taking this forward? So, one, what are you hoping to see as a result of this initiative so far? And two, what are your next steps in taking it further?
1: What we're hoping to see, um, by the end of the year, we'll have our first report card under its belt. And so we will be grading ourselves and our efforts to get some of the policy changes that uh, policymakers have committed to. Um, For example, the Housing Authority of New Orleans has committed to do um, what they call mobility counseling um, and additional landlord outreach because we want to make sure that voucher holders aren't concentrated in areas where they don't have access to transportation, um, and access to services and access to jobs. So that's, they've committed to that. So we want to see those kind of initiatives roll out, you know, in the first year. Uh, we want to do outreach with senior citizens who are, um, who own their homes and are starting to experience some, um, cost burden because of taxes. There's actually a program on the books in the city of New Orleans to, um, for senior citizens to have their taxes frozen. Um, you know, because it, it because it might become a cost um, burden for them. So we want to see more seniors taking advantage of that program right now by mm-hmm. our calculations. There are about 18,000 seniors who are eligible for this program who are not accessing it.
0: Yeah, and I, um, I, and I understand from a couple folks who are actually on the other side of the gentrification process, they talk about the neighbors that they used to have that have gotten pushed out of the neighborhood because the taxes have gone up, because the assessments on the property has gone up, because the values have gone up.
1: That's right. That's right. So that's something that we can do. Those are the kind of things that can happen right out the gate that we're going to be working as a collective to, to ensure it happens. Um, and, and so we want to, what we're going to judge ourselves against is do those things actually happen? Um, in the, in the next 60 to 40, 60 to, uh, 60 to 90 days or the, the 100 days, um, initial uh, impacts that we want to see happen. Councilmember Brossett introduced, uh, affordable housing impact statement ordinance at uh, the last city council meeting and so the the hope is that um the city council will approve that um in january uh that we complete go ahead and yeah, I, I just wanted is to is, ask you so to exp-
0: i just wanted to ask you to explain that because i'm sure I, I didn't get that
1: sorry the uh, the affordable housing impact statement ordinance and so what that does and i should have explained What that does is it's going to require that the City Planning Commission, um, that the city itself, any decision that they make, um, be it funding reallocation or zoning, um, um, anything like that, that impacts affordable housing, um, that they need to calculate and, and provide an analysis to the council saying that this is going to either increase the number of affordable housing units or decrease um, the number of affordable housing units which is really important and so that that can be taken into consideration when these kinds of decisions are made um, so that if if you do a parking waiver for someone um, and, and that actually creates affordable housing that needs to be taken into consideration or if a demolition permit will take a certain number of units off the table that is all um, that's all of information that's available and it may not impact the decision But we can also get a good handle on how the numbers are moving, right? If something has to happen, um, because the the um, the building could be a health hazard, um, and it just happens to have inside of it some units that are being rented at below market prices, we need to know that. But we also, and so we can talk about what happens to those families who may be living there, right? Um, And so that we can kind of plan and strategize around these issues. So. Um, that's one of the. Um, that's the first thing off the gate. Um, Councilman Lebracet announced that um, as, after he left the housing nola press conference, he introduced that ordinance at the uh, the council meeting that afternoon, and um, and so they're going to vote on that in the next in uh, in January. We we expect um, the ne- a next another next step is inclusionary housing study. So inclusionary zoning is another way of creating affordable housing so um, this is a one of those best practices you mentioned Jean that is something that happens across the country how do we get that to work in New Orleans uh, it was something that we could not we couldn't get the study done in a year um, while we were doing planning because one we needed to make sure community was comfortable with this concept um, inclusionary zoning is such um, that what happens is if you're building let's say, um, a real estate developer comes down and, and buys a plot of land downtown and he wants to build a uh, hundred condos with inclusionary zoning uh, that developer will have to of a certain percentage of those condos would have to be restricted for affordable housing and that doesn't mean that the developer gets any subsidy they don't necessarily get any assistance they will have to um, create those affordable housing units, and in, in, in exchange for getting their permit to work in New Orleans.
0: That's that's a so, program I'm familiar yeah. with from New York, and it does work. It really does. That's right. If you hold that's them, right. if you hold their feet to the fire, and you make them do it. That's right. And we want to make sure that we have to make sure they do it correctly,
1: because we don't want them doing things. Because one of them, the lessons learned from New York, some some um, sometimes the developers do things like they build additional uh, separate entrances. For the affordable housing oh units, God. they don't built to the same quality. Let's so us right? We want to make sure that um, that our policies don't have those kinds of loopholes. So we're going to spend some time um, putting together a, a study together and, um, and and working with the council and administration to figure out how to roll this out. But we had to get community buy in because that's a that's something that people kind of that's a knee jerk reaction. For some people, the knee jerk will be positive. For others, the knee jerk is negative. So we needed to make sure we have community support on those kinds of issues. Uh, and so those are the two big priorities, um, for, and then the next one is there's, um, talk, we're talking about the rental registry, you know, so, um, that, and the rental registry is talking about putting together, um, code enforcement for occupied units. Uh, the way it works right now, if you live in a substandard apartment, you, there's not a lot of recourse for you, so how do we how do we address that? Uh, and so those are the, it's the the top three initiatives that we're going to be tackling, um, that or different partners are going to be tackling um, in the next hundred days.
0: Well, this is just um, uh, fascinating. It really is, Andrea Nisia. You know, I'm just curious because I, I'm such a curious person about people and and how they get engaged in, in what they do. So. Uh, Take me back for just a minute to who you are and how you got committed to um, housing as an issue. And uh, I see, you know, you work with Providence. And Uh quite frankly, I was mad at Providence for a good while, and I'm getting over it. But when they took down Lafitte, I just, you know, I'm I'm a neighbor of Lafitte. I live on Esplanade between Miro and Tanti. And so um, Lafitte was my neighbor, and I, I, I didn't agree with the idea of tearing it down. So I had I had a, a little a lump in my throat over that for quite a while. Oh. Fought it, and um, I'm getting it over because uh, you know, quite frankly, I would have to say what you're doing has more than anything else that they have done helped me to get over it. But but how how did you how did you get involved in this? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Are you from here? That's what everybody I mean, I'm from, these um, days, right?
1: Edgar, Louisiana, originally, which is Where? about 45 minutes outside the city, and um, came here to go to college at Loyola and stayed uh, like a lot of people and made the city my home um, and started working at the Housing Authority right out of college. So um, jumped right into affordable housing <laughs> um, right off the bat uh, and doing it from a slightly different standpoint, working in the communications department, um, client services, um, the strategic planning department and so learned a little learned a lot about affordable housing, particularly public housing and how um the, the benefits and, and how um and, and the beauty of those communities up close and personal. And and going from a person who was not very familiar with public housing, we don't have a lot of public housing in Edgar, Louisiana. It's a small rural community and coming to a city where um, the housing authority was at its height, the six Largest in the country was quite a big difference. Um, and, but really, you know, New Orleans, New or- the, you know, the, those, those communities with feet and the old St. Bernard and St. Thomas and Desire, those communities have such resonance and, co- and connection. And I think what we've done with rebuilding them is, 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 is um, been able to give people, um, a better chance in those same communities. At least I think that's what we've done at Fulberg Lafitte.
0: And, you know, uh, and I think um,
1: the other ones have done so as well.
0: I, I was just talking um, the other day with somebody, and I'm not going to recall his name right now because he's still new to me, but he works with Enterprise, and he works on Lafitte, and um, he told me that uh, actually a fairly high, higher number than I thought of previous residents have been able to have return. That was so encouraging to hear.
1: Yes, yes, we have. We brought home about 134 um former Lafitte residents at Lafitte who are living there right now. We've actually brought home more than that, but people have moved out um, and moved on. But right now we have about 134 former Lafitte residents living at the Lafitte site.
0: And that's 134 and out of how many residences total?
1: So it was eight, So right now we have um, at Lafitte, there are this um, 200 and well, – Oh, i got to do the
0: math again, because it's one of those numbers. You know how you keep them in your head? In uh, I don't keep numbers in my head very well at all, so don't be embarrassed.
1: <laughs> so it's 300, and it, it should be
0: 360. Okay. And, yeah. and those other people are people who are coming from a more um, uh, middle-income background, which is one of the nope. objectives of mixing people, or what? No, Lafitte, um, if, if you recall, Lafitte's uh, tenants
1: is one-for-one replacement. So 276 of the apartments on the main, um, on, on Lafitte itself, are low-income um, apartments. They are okay, that's, for... That's much better um,
0: than I thought. Yeah.
1: Yes, right. Yeah. So while we yeah. only have 134 formula feet residents, um, the, the, when you do the math from 276 minus 134... That is still, Those are still low-income families, people
0: who could have lived at Lafitte-Free Katrina. I, I um, have, I'm going to have to move on to my next guest shortly. Yep. But, Andrea Nishio, well, let me ask you just one other question, just out of, again, curiosity, that one of the big question marks in everybody's minds has to do with who's been able to come home and who hasn't and why. And um, the, the, the sense is that you all in the housing arena, and especially those of you working with public housing, know more what's going on than most of us. Uh, t- give me just a kind of headline on how we're doing on getting people back. And for those who have not come back yet, what are the major issues? So
1: we're still down 100,000 African-Americans is the, the big headline.
0: Uh, wow. we about still,
1: who's come back. Still. I've heard that
0: number now for 10 years. I thought we'd made some progress on it. No. Nope.
1: We're, we're still down about 100,000 wow. African Americans. Um, so, we and again, the population number is still bearing out. So, we, again, that's why this kind of initiative is so important because we still have work to do. That's those are folks we can come have come home over the next 10 years. And so, there are um, the the state has recently announced additional. Um, changes to the road home program that should make it easier for more people to rebuild and come home um, these initiatives where we're going to be trying to create more subsidized housing in different communities that better connect people to jobs and and, and other opportunities that should make it easier for people to come home and stay in the city first-time ownership opportunities uh, for people who may have come back to the metro area and are living in, um, you know, Jefferson Parish or St. Bernard Parish and want to be able to buy in New Orleans, those kind of initiatives um, should make it easier for people to come home and so we can get those numbers up.
0: Well, it's it's such an important thing. And, you know, we all talk about maintaining the cultural character, the legacy of our city, and without the people who are the foundation of that legacy, we cannot do it. So um, uh, all uh, all power to what you're doing. Uh, I'm I'm blown away uh, by the the level of commitment by the partnerships that you've been able to accomplish. Um, I've taken notes furiously because we're trying to do something very similar in the cultural arena. Um, uh-huh. And actually, I'm thinking how I'd really like to have you come talk to some of our folks that we're trying to get together on our we're trying to put sure. together a coalition, Andronisia, to get dedicated funding for the creative Mm -hmm. economy at the state level which is going yeah. to be very difficult right now because of the uh, budget situation. But I truly believe in exactly the formula that you just described, that a combination of public, private, and uh, community-level um, buy-in is, is what's going to make it happen. So we, I, I, I think that we're going to have a, our, our summit is in, in March during the New Orleans Entrepreneur Week, and I'm, I'm definitely going to invite you to uh, come talk to oh, us. I, I hope you. Um, you, those of you out in the, in the audience who, who think you can't change things, if you listened here, you you are hearing how these folks um, are changing the housing situation, and this is a lesson to all of us. So, yep. thank you so much for your time, and um, I hope uh, you'll welcome my call, and we'll get together and talk about uh, what we're trying to accomplish in our cultural field soon. Absolutely, Dean. You call, you let me know when you want to call me there, and we'll be there. Thank you a million. I really appreciate your time. All right, you and too. Thank you for.
1: for because we really do need to continue to make these kinds of outreaches and, um, and letting people know because, again, the plan is just the first part, and so there's still opportunity for people to participate and to impact, cha- impact um, this kind of change.
0: Where can so they call you- or what's the website where people can go if they want to get involved? They
1: can go to the website at www.housingnola.com.
0: Housingnola.com, y'all. Housingnola.com, how much easier can it be? you know, Can't click be- on, click Can't on, beated. check in, get involved. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very All right, much. Thank you, Have a nice holiday. Bye bye. Well, we're going to follow up Andronesia with, with another um, very active and um, deliberate, um, determined leader in the community. And this time in the cultural area. Um, those of you who listen to my show know that Culture, community, the environment. These are the things that uh, we're so interested in in on our program. And I have with me now in studio Gia Hamilton, another person who I'm going to go back and and press her to talk about how she got started because it's always interesting to hear how we shape our lives and how we choose a direction. So we'll do that. But um, Gia is head of the Joan Mitchell Center. And um, I'm sure many of you who have uh, driven down Bayou Road have noticed um, all of the new construction and the this, this beautiful um, melange of the older architecture. It's one of the oldest plantations, still a mm-hmm. uh, standing plantation, spaces in the city, but it has now become a major cultural center that is very rooted in the community, serves the community, addresses the community, but at the same time also. Works very hard to help artists really kind of um, jumpstart a new phase in their work because um, the John Mitchell Center gives them an opportunity to come onto the grounds and work and 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 do nothing else but that and uh, you know I don't know how many of you all out there realize how much artists struggle to uh, both. You know, achieve a, a standard of living, take care of their families, pay their rent bills and their other bills, their utility, car yes. payments, et cetera, and and go to school and make art. Um, so all the art that we enjoy and that we appreciate uh, comes at a huge price to the people who created. I think sometimes people think, oh, artists, they have it easy because they can just go make art. No, they're going to make art at the same time that they're doing all the kinds of things that you and I do every day, and that is work so hard to make a living. So Absolutely. Um, that's what the Joan Mitchell Center is kind of all about, and um, it's a hybrid organization. It has one foot in New York and one foot in <laughs> New Orleans, and thank God for that because the New York foot has really helped that New Orleans foot to grow. So... Um, Give give me, you know, this has kind of been a, a big year. One of the things we're doing right now going into the new year is talking about achievements and accomplishments of this past year, and we were just hearing about accomplishments in the housing area. That's so important. But give me a kind of little bit of a... a um, chronology or just a sense of of this past year in the life of uh, Joan Mitchell Center. Right there on Bayou Road, folks, right? Down the block from the Community Book Center, because I know you all know where that is, (laughs) and uh, just down from Broad Street. And uh, really, just as you come off Esplanade and you take that turn to the right to go towards the Jazz Fest, um, on along the way, you're going to pass the Joan Mitchell Center.
2: Yep, right right in the middle of the 7th Ward. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting that you use the word hybrid because I think um one it's it's the theme of um my my programmatic narrative this year. This idea of the old and the new and and looking at that in a very broad sense, distilling it down to sort of concrete um binary things that are coming up for us um at, in New Orleans right now which are um, you know, create tension but also create opportunity and I think that's really where the helm of my work lies and in those opportunities. And so, yeah, we've been working for the past um, four years, actually, to develop the Joan Mitchell Center, which is an artist residency center. Um, And we have six buildings on property that are historic buildings and then brand new 8,000 square foot studios that we built. So, you know, this idea of having to really think about the place that we're in is very important. It's central to the work at the center. Um, Thinking about the neighbors and the ways that we can serve um, our neighborhood first and then sort of think outward from there. Um, And and I think, you know, again, it's been a great learning experience. Uh, We ran a a number of pilots, and um, I had the pleasure of sort of developing our community engagement strategy over the last few years, and and I'm excited to share that we, you know, were able to develop a workforce development program during the capital project, but that we've made a real serious commitment to uh, this type of uh, workforce development through our programming, um, meaning that we are interested in hiring creatives in our neighborhood to work on events, to um, photograph things, and work on editing and video. Um, And so, some of what has come up is that we're really interested in making sure that our programming both serves the artists who are in residence, some of which are local artists, others are visiting artists, um, as well as the people in our community. So um, we do a lot of work in terms of helping art- visiting artists understand the city that they're coming into, helping them understand that um, – there are nuances here that are really important that they pay attention to and observe and respect. Um, that the cultural legacy of the city is is very important to um, the the residency functioning well. And so our partnerships are equally as important as uh, the artists that are coming in.
0: I have to just um, uh, stop you there for just a minute, and we'll keep going on. But um, so I'm fascinated to know how what the impact of that learning process for the artists coming in from elsewhere has on them uh, in their life view and their work.
2: That's a really great question. I think it's a it's a sort of two-part question. What I've learned over the past few years are that artists are incredibly excited when they come to New Orleans to experience a deeper sense of what it means to be in this place. So we're finding that no longer are people interested in just sort of the tourist experience, that they're really interested in learning from the city of New Orleans um, in terms of its resilience, its, its sort of um, cultural insularity and the way in which it's... <laughs> preserved culture, but also very interested, and this is the key key point for me, in supporting local artists... And really collaborating outside of the city and i think that this is something that's significant in terms of um, allowing local artists and lo- local arts institutions to be more sustainable again when we have those partnerships that extend the work that we're doing outside of the city um, it, it allows us to um, really think about how we can um, continue to be sustainable continue to grow and and as you share a lot of times um, continue to have that financial base um, so We really encourage that, and I think um, because we've been really working with visiting artists to understand the culture and to have um, sort of ambassadors, uh, institutions and partners that really help to orient them to the city, um, we're finding that the experiences are richer both for our community members and for the visiting artists that are coming in town. And so in, in just saying that and thinking about our partnerships you know, um, Creative Alliances of New Orleans and this idea of moving off of our campus has been really important to me this fall. Even though we launched and we have this beautiful campus and it's really a lot of fun to bring people onto, I still really want um, our community in the city of New Orleans to know that it's very important for the center to do this work off-site and around town and that we're equally as interested. In in neighborhoods. In neighborhoods. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So being able to um, after four years of really intense strategy um, to branch out to a project that is um, that's really near and dear to my heart and to curate a show was something that was just really an incredibly exciting opportunity. So yeah, LCCR, Louisiana Center for Children's Rights, um, that has been working with the juvenile justice um, in the juvenile justice realm for years, um, asked me if I would curate a show um, in conjunction with their campaign to remove children from Orleans parents' prison. Which
0: I thought was such a fascinating um, uh, thing to do. And uh, and actually, um, another example of that, I just uh, checked in on this past weekend when Brandon Odoms did his big amnesty yes. art for amnesty thing at the warehouse over there by the river in, in, uh, in the, Ma- I think that's still the Marony, It's right still now. the Marony, near yeah. Noca, yes. Right. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, the idea of, of, of the arts as a, as a way of supporting social justice and other issues is, is fascinating. So I was really intrigued by this and very happy that we were able to host it up at the Myrtle Banks building, but, and, and, um, I think it's really, let's get the, this message out there right away that this, we extended it. Yes. Extended thank you. We extended it through the holidays because uh, I really felt a lot of people come back into town. Um, it's a, it's going to be interesting for us to see how we can get that message out to some of those folks and make sure they know that this is here because, you know, it, the, one of the issues with Myrtle Banks has been because the uh, market is not open yet, people don't realize that the building is open. So Absolutely. we really have to drive of folks um, in to see the exhibits there. So. Um, give me a little bit more about the exhibit itself, and um, it's going to come down on the eighth of January. I the wish we 8th could keep of it up January. a little longer.
2: Yeah, I think you know it's it's interesting that you mentioned Brandon as well. Brandon is a Joan Mitchell Foundation recipient. He will be a Joan Mitchell artist in residence with us next year. So I think we're finding that the artists that we are choosing to work with really do many of them have um, sort of social justice as something that's very important to their work, and so we were really interested with this project and in, in making sure that this idea of art for art's sake is important but that it wasn't a part of this particular show and for me this was this was specifically um, important because um, typically with, um, with more traditional exhibitions, um, it's about sort of viewing this work in the white box, and I was really interested in this being an immersive experience. And with that, you know, um, the purpose of Juvenile Injustice, which was an exhibition by works by, uh, photographer Richard Ross, in conjunction with, five different high school students um, responding to this work, that it was important that we begin to open up this idea of juvenile justice and make it everyone's issue, right? Um, Our our young people, our children are everyone's children. And when uh, they're not good, we're not good. And so um, the sort of premise of of this curatorial statement was really look, listen, and act, looking at this work um, Richard is a brilliant photographer who does this work all over the country and really has, over the past 20 years, been at the forefront of documenting um, young people in, in justice Yeah, systems.
0: so let's, let's give people a picture of it because the the power of the images that are up in this exhibit is undeniable. There's nobody who walks into the gallery that is not blown away, On two levels, the aesthetics of the work is is beautiful. I mean, just the the quality of the photography. But more importantly, the content is showing you, takes you into prisons and shows you these intimate moments um, with the the image of a young man with his eyes behind the door of an isolation uh, cell uh, with a lineup of kids. With adults, um, it, it, yeah it, it's just it floors you it is so
2: it powerful you can't does. come
0: out of there without understanding in a very deep way what it means for a young person to be in an adult prison and that's the message of the show:
2: Absolutely and you know as a curator, part of my job is to think about the space. Um, It was really important to make this connection between school and Myrtle Banks being a former school in Central City. So that was all very intentional and I think a perfect sort of marriage. But also to think about, um, quite frankly, how to make people uncomfortable. I mean, I was really trying to press buttons with the way that this show was hung. Um, you know, you walk out from this elevator and Richard has uh six shots in a series where he has photographed isolation rooms and you literally walk out from that elevator into what looks like these isolation rooms. So right off the bat, you're really experiencing this sort of discomfort of, of what that must feel like for a young person to be in isolation, to be removed from um any sort of familial everything. ties, everything yeah. that is familiar. Um We hung the show in in two days in silence. I mean, it was a really, I talk about this, a really meditative process for me. Um, You know, it's no secret. Many people know I'm a mother of four boys. Um, And there was a photo that um, a little boy who was underneath um, his bed, his cot. And uh, the story behind this was that this was the only place that he could go in his um, cell where he wasn't, where the guards weren't able to watch him. And it was the only place that he felt safe. And so he would sleep underneath this cot. And, you know, I opened up this work and started laying it out and thinking about the sort of narrative and the experience. And this boy looked like my son. You know, it was one of those moments of just... um, absolute connection to this on a real emotional level and it really, um, it prompted the experience that I wanted people to have. So we literally hung the show lower so that every aspect of looking at this work and viewing it, viewers would have to view it from the perspective of a young person. Um, There are benches that are set in the middle of the corridor of, of the space and we chained the exhibition guides to the benches with this intention of thinking about chains, thinking about the ways in which our children are sort of handled in these situations, but also when you're there and it's quiet, um, it's a really, really, really deeply disturbing sound to hear these chains as you read the stories of these young people. So in um, just thinking about that, it was it was this act of looking, really deeply looking at the work, um, connecting with the work and, dealing with turning away from the work sometimes
0: so just so it's interesting what you were saying about um the reaction you had to the young man under the bed um we took a tour we we do these tours of Mm -hmm. of, of people and in this case this was a custom tour of the wives of administrative judges from around the country um and we had with us um uh, a, a man, um, uh, a friend of mine, who is a tour guide, is African-American. There aren't that many African-American tour guides. It's uh-huh. something that I'm working on on another level. And um, he was knocked out by it. And his nephew, at the time that he was in the show, was in um, the prison in, in, wow. um, uh, at Tulane abroad uh-huh. And um, he said, you have to help me get him out of there. Yeah, and you know, in my case, you know, in, in this particular instance, I, I, I because of the work I do and, and have done all my life, I was able to pick up the phone and call somebody and say, "Get that kid out of there." Absolutely. Not everybody has the ability to do that, and even that, it took it took some time to make that happen, and and calling back and back and back. But um, he, uh, you just could look at his face when he walked in that room. And he was just, oh, my God, this is what I'm dealing with, and I have to do something now about it. So he was motivated immediately to solve that personal issue that he had with somebody who was... And it it brought it so home for me, too, to be dealing with a a specific individual, a friend of mine and my friend's nephew.
2: Absolutely. And I think, you know, you hit on it. Richard does such a great job of, um, again, this work takes a lot of time getting the stories and, and just... Hearing about you know really humanizing these young people and 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 reminding us that they are children, um, and and he shows images of you know children as young as eleven, ten or eleven years old in isolation rooms. So this idea of the 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 looking, the listening part came along, um, and this is where the the center again in this hybrid sort of situation of me as this independent curator and in the center, really being interested in art and social justice, hosted a town hall in October. And this town hall was really to focus on um, sort of artists and activists and where these two things meet. Um, to have a real a larger co- macro sort of conversation about um, how we can do better how we can include artists how um, across sector we can think about uh, the power of art and the and, and and the very unique sort of contribution that artists make to society um, and and it was great we had uh, Cassandra Tran from Vela so we were able to kind of get this perspective of young Vietnamese people doing this work in New Orleans East um, Ernest Johnson from Flick really talking about the families of incarcerated um people um Ernest
0: Johnson from Flick from Flick yeah you see, I couldn't come to that event but uh, Ernest Johnson I worked with him years ago at Cox I yeah. was wondering where he was yeah okay. he's at
2: Flick doing amazing work and organizing work um Chandra McCormick, um, new Venice Biennale participant and artist who she and her First husband. First from New Orleans. Exactly, Keith Calhoun and Chandra McCormick. Chandra was on our panel and, and, and kind of led us through her work on labor movements and specifically Angola over the past 15 years. Um, And then finally, Kevin Griffin, who is a younger uh, partner of Brandon Odom's. They started Two Cent Media together. And uh, Kevin was actually um, convicted and tried at 10 and sent to Tallulah for five years, where he talks about this story of his own um, entry point into um, sort of art making and the way in which art making uh, via media really changed his life. And so now Kevin is this Amazing motivational speaker, um, member of Two Cent, founder of Two Cent Media, along with Brandon Odoms, and so it was a great way for us to begin to again widen this conversation. So that was sort of the the listening part of this kind of call and response style panel. And then finally, you know, as a part of the exhibition, it was really important uh, to have some action steps. So Louisiana Center for Children's Rights has been doing this work for so long, and we actually had petitions um, up as a part. Of the exhibition, telling our city council to remove all children from Orleans Parish Prison.
0: And, and by the way, I, I know that, that happened. What, where are we now with that? What's the outcome on that? And you know, we, we're so we're going to run out of time really soon. So I want to uh, kind of uh, make sure that we remind everybody that this show is up until uh, January eighth, and it's at yes. Myrtle Banks which is, um, I, I always have to look at the address, 1307 of <laughs> uh, Castle Haley Boulevard. It's a, it's in between Arado and Thalia Street. It's right near Ashe, everybody. It's just two blocks uh, downriver from Ashe, and um, it's a powerful show. I want everybody to see it before it comes down. Absolutely. And lots of people uh, participated in helping to make it happen. But um, so the action steps, the petitions, what happened with the petitions?
2: The petitions were signed both before, that. so that whole week was campaigning, Um, We got lots of partners on to sign. We had many of the the participants and attendees of the show signed. We had about 250 that night sign. Um, And then, of course, the rally where many (laughs) of our city council members were in support of this. And so, um, you know, we're seeing positive um, results from this. And I want to direct everyone to LCCR, Louisiana Center for Children's Rights. Um, I think it's important for people to sign up on their mailing list, to really go to their website and follow this story through. We, we intend on not just sort of letting this go with this exhibition, but really finding other creative and alternative ways. I'm interested in working with artists, and we'll be putting out a call for artists who are working around this subject of sort of violence, justice, the criminal justice system, and young people um, within the next few weeks. So I'm excited to see this work continue and to build on this momentum of, uh, again, the power of art. So again, so that um,
0: gives us a, that gives you all um, a, an understanding of how far uh, reaching the mission of of the Joan Mitchell Center is beyond just um, uh, inviting, which is not a just. It's a big thing to <laughs> provide space for artists to work. Um, but, uh, you know, again, we just almost give me just a kind of. Uh, Oh, uh, a little um, preview of the coming year, and then uh, we'll have you back on. You're you're right down the street, so we'll have you back on to talk more about, uh, drill down some of your other projects going forward, but just give me a little kind of advancer.
2: Right down, yeah, we'll be back, definitely. Next year, we will have 54 artists coming in town for the whole year. Really exciting, so a full year programming. Um, We're going to be bringing the visual mashup back, which is an opportunity for visiting artists and local artists um for us to get to know them and actually present them at our space. Uh the community coffees happen every second Wednesday of the month and it's a great time from 8:30 to 11:30 to come and meet us. It's a general open house. Um it's a chance to meet the staff, to talk to me, I look at work, then and um and hopefully to just connect People oh, with so each you other. Look at
0: work at the coffees too? I
2: do. I've always so people encouraged. Can bring in work. Absolutely. And at one of the coffees I know in the spring, probably in March, we'll be hosting another portfolio review, um, which again will hopefully open the doors for artists that we haven't worked with um, to get to know them. So we've we've got a full year of programming, lots of exciting projects coming up. Um, and I'm looking forward to next year starting to delve into this idea of legacy. Um, this year we've been talking about hybridity, next year really thinking about legacy as we prepare for the tricentennial, and this idea of how um, intergenerationally we work and pass the baton in terms of leadership, how we honor um, our leaders who have done this work and really laid the framework for the work that many of the younger leaders of my generation get to do now. And I want to find really great ways for us to do this publicly together.
0: I, I, um, uh, I love that idea. That's actually something that we're looking at, uh, in some of our next exhibits at Myrtle Bank. So Excellent. again, we have to talk a little bit about that partnering we were, um, uh, visiting uh, the other day because the idea of uh, what I'd really like to do is match off some of the so-called newbie mm-hmm. artists with some of the artists who've been working love here it. forever into collaborative projects and see what happens <coughs> when you bring them together. Because right now they're working sort of side by side. Absolutely. Not so much together, mm-hmm. and that's something that I think would be really intriguing. Something that I did when we first formed the Contemporary Arts Center, when we started the Dewdrop in and we would bring musical artists in from elsewhere yes. and locals and have them work together and jam together and, and, and influence each other. Um, Joan Mitchell Center, exact address? 2275 Bayou Road. And I'm really excited. This
2: was kind of the launch again of my curatorial path, and so you can find out more about my work at giamhamilton.com. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Loved having you. Uh, 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 is that a call coming in? Okay, all right. <laughs> we're we're about to go off. And listen, y'all, please have a wonderful um, holiday season, uh, winter solstice, a little moment for rest and contemplation, and. Um, reviving your spirit for the coming year and um, I always say one of my favorite things about New Orleans is that in January when I used to live in New York it was sort of the beginning of the horror time of the year <laughs> just cold, miserable, terrible but here is the beginning of Carnival and that's coming yes. and um, that's when we really again celebrate our culture um, have a great holiday this is Jean Nathan's Cross Sound Conversations Gia Hamilton has been with us with the Joan Mitchell Center we thank you for coming Thank you